This is the Honest CEO Show, hosted by the Honest CEO, Caroline Kennedy. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and motivated by the honest stories from passionate, extraordinary business people who share their ups and downs and their learnings on the journey to building success in business. Welcome, and today my guest is Carly Hammond. CEO and founder of Directors Institute, a leading board and executive search and board talent management consultant and Australia's foremost CEO business mentor. Directors Institute is the fastest growing network of board directors in the region and aims to refresh boards in Australia by addressing the gap around connecting fresh director talent with board opportunities. Kylie has placed more than 2,500 directors in board roles. She is passionate about helping executives create portfolio careers, which can include a main employment contract combined with not-for-profit work, board appointments, speaking and coaching or mentoring engagement. Kylie has had considerable experience leading human capital management and performance management programs, working as a trusted advisor in global corporations, including Cisco Systems, PeopleSoft and Deloitte Consulting. Kylie is a highly regarded commentator about boards and board performance and features regularly in leading publications like the Australian Financial Review, The Australian, Guy News, Sydney Morning Herald, Women's Agenda and HR Director. Kylie was also listed in the 2016 edition of the Who's Who of Australian Women. Welcome to the show, Kylie. It's an absolute pleasure to have you share your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, tell us about yourself, Kylie, and your career. So I'm the Chief Executive uh, Officer of Director Institute, Next Generation Board Directors, and we're focused on uh, placing, uh, you know, aspiring and current board directors into boardrooms, and we're very focused on bringing in this new guard uh, of talent uh, across a whole range of different uh, industry sectors and skill sectors into the boardroom, and I've been involved in top-level recruitment for many, many years and saw that there was a real opportunity to refresh the boardrooms uh, in Australia to bring in this new talent pool. Yeah, yeah. Now, Kylie, why, in your opinion, are we not making any progress on equal representation at a C-suite and board level, particularly in the corporate and private sector? Yeah. So, um, on a on a gender representation sort of issue, there are, are still ongoing issues in the ASX and, you know, I think the numbers are quite skewed and we're not actually seeing the real progress that we would like. I think there's been a lot of rhetoric, there's been a lot of talk, uh, you know, talk of 30% clubs, um, all that kind of thing. And, and none of it is making real genuine headway. But to be honest, I'm kind of over the conversation because in the private sector, uh, in the private equity venture capital markets and so on, we don't see those gender issues at all. Uh, women have uh, as many opportunities, if not more opportunities than the guys. And we see 50-50 split boards all the time, and I've placed thousands of board members. So for my mind, the issue is really, you know, you can get very distracted by that ASX debate. Yeah. 
um, because the reality is in the real world where, you know, the money counts, uh, companies, corporations are wanting to put the best talent around the, uh, the boardroom and that means an equal representation of men and women. Yeah, and I think that's a very valid point, Kylie, and something that I talk about regularly or get asked about regularly is, you know, gender equality. And I have always had the firm position, you know, I I mean, for myself, I've uh, been a CEO of a multinational organisation and I never let those stereotypes stop me. To be honest, they were never even relevant to me either. So that whole glass ceiling, you know, stereotype, for me, it just never existed. So it was never a barrier and I never saw that there wasn't opportunities available available to me. Um, I believe that I have the same opportunities as everybody else and that it was up to me to make something of my career and myself. And, And I suppose, you know, it goes back to, and I've always said, we need to stop perhaps, you know, complaining about it and actually do something about it. Take responsibility for the fact that if you want something, you need to go and go after it and, and build that because there is equal opportunity out there. Exactly. And women literally can do every role on the planet from the president to the, you know, to to all sorts of careers, all sorts of levels. Um, so I think we, may, we we create our own problems when we get sidetracked by these kind of quite silly debates. And, you know, there's only a very small number of um, ASX boards now that don't have women on their boardroom, uh, in their boardroom. And, and really, quite frankly, if they don't want them there, you know, they've probably got their own reasons for that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why get all hung up on a, a debate that really doesn't serve us very well and we're very well represented everywhere, you know, on the planet? Yeah. And I think it comes back to uh, we allow excuses to hold us back and they could be the catalyst for the reason why we didn't do X, Y and Z as well. Yeah, exactly. Now, Kylie, what are your top three tips for women in regards Mm -hmm. to putting themselves forward? Mm -hmm. To to go down a board pathway, boardroom pathway? yeah. Look, I mean, I I think, you know, be careful where you take your advice from because there's a lot of um, misconceptions. There's a lot of people very well-intentioned that are sort of giving advice on this. But but, you know, having placed, you know, you know, literally thousands of women into boardrooms, the key is to try and start as early as possible. And, you know, that can mean when you're in your executive career looking for an opportunity to take on uh, quality uh, external board appointments, and that could be in the not-for-profit space, um, which is very valid. But the other space that often just gets a little bit overlooked is the early stage up-and-coming, you know, private companies. And these are where you can really cut your teeth. And if they're businesses that are, you know, raising capital and so on, you get a lot of exposure to the business community and you can really build a reputation around that. So um, you have to have a, uh, you know, a clear idea of what your value proposition is. You have to have a really great uh, personal brand. Um, But at the heart of it, the people who have successful board careers are prepared to network. And, um, you know, that really is the key. And and women are good networkers, but as you say, sometimes they might not be putting themselves quite out there. 
um, if you're going to have a successful board career, you're really going to make networking a central part of your board search strategy and connecting in with key decision makers because they'll invite you into the boardroom. And there's so many roles and opportunities where you can get your start and to start building up those credentials. You never start in, you know, very rarely would you start in a big ASX appointment. So you never start sort of where you'd like to end up. Yeah. Um, but you can build up really great credentials in the private markets as advisory board members and non-execs. And uh, it's a very rewarding career. So it's definitely worth pursuing. Yeah. They're really good tips and advice. Thank you. Now, I've, I was just sort of talked about before, you know, I've accounted many women who believe that after having a child, their career can't progress and it holds them back. And, you know, and it's not an obstacle because I'm a prime example of that. I've, you know, (laughs) had a child. Um, And don't get me wrong, you know, I do believe that um, uh, discrimination does occur, whether it's conscious Mm -hmm. or unconscious, um, and I've experienced it, but I've never let anything stand in my way. So what's your advice for women who are, you know, they're not necessarily confident to progress? I mean, what's your advice to them? Well, look, I'm a big believer in, you know, baby to boardroom, and we've um, helped a, a quite a large number of um, females who've had very successful corporate careers taken time out to have a a family, now wanting to come back into the market, maybe struggling to find something that's going to give them the flexibility that they're looking for. And we've been able to chart a pathway back into a boardroom setting, uh, which is actually a fantastic way to come back into the market. you know, I, I, you know, confidence is the key because I think when people do leave the workforce for a period of time, uh, networks often go on hold. Uh, confidence levels sometimes, you know, can fall fall away. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of us take our validation from being in the workplace and being career-minded and so on. But I don't think we, we've provided um, enough clear pathways for women to come back into the workforce and there's these really narrow perceptions of what's possible. But I can tell you anything is possible, but it's just putting a plan in place. And so what we do is if, if someone's indicating they're thinking about coming back into the workplace, um, put a plan in place, get the branding right. You need a top, top, you know, corporate resume to come back into the market. Don't be embarrassed about the break that you've had. Um, you know, put it front and centre. Took, took, you know, X number of years out to raise a family. There is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming back in, you've got to reactivate the networks and you're going to have to create new networks. And it will take a little bit of time to re-engage, but anything is possible. And I think um, board work in particular, um, I think corporate women should really, who have gone off on maternity leave, should really think about coming back in at board level because um, it will provide some flexibility. Uh, You have a board schedule, you know, and the meetings are going to occur. And if you are still raising a young family, that could be very, very helpful. Um, And you're still able to make a really substantial commit, you know, contribution uh, at a very senior level in, in those boards. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, very valid point. And a point that I believe not a lot of women consider either. Yeah, I think they just they've just never thought it was possible. Yeah. And again, this is back to be careful where you take your advice from. A lot of very well intentioned people, uh, they have quite 
you know, narrow perceptions themselves. Um, headhunters might have narrow perceptions of what's possible um, and they look for the quick wins and they might not put a candidate forward who's been off on maternity leave for a period of time. Um, you know, but the clients themselves don't have those perceptions. They don't have those limitations. I have never, ever had a business owner say to me, oh, she's been out of the workplace for four years having children. Um, no, the skill set is no longer valid. Um, that just does not occur. No. So I think, you know, you just got to be careful where you take the advice from. You do need to plan for it, but be confident that you you still know how to ride the bike. You you know, if you've had a successful corporate career, it doesn't stop because you've raised a family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very, very valid. Now, traditionally, CEO roles have been predominantly filled by individuals from with a financial skill set. Uh, so I've seen CFOs promoted into CEO roles. However, from my experience, this is not necessarily the best move for, for organisations. Background in, for instance, varied skill sets, etc., particularly on boards uh, and having that diversity can be quite beneficial. Yes. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think there are a number of pathways to, to chief executive, but I think we've got to really just rethink, you know, you know, depending on the organisation, of course, rethink uh, the skills and those pathways because there are uh, many ways to come up through the ranks. Um, you know, your traditional chief executive has often come up through a sales pathway because they're, you know, often very results driven, uh, you know, able to get the results, able to, you know, sort of be the spokesperson for the organisation and so on. And that's valid. But often the traits that make for, you know, a really good CEO, which is, you know, and, and sales and that dominant sort of trait, um, you know, in this sort of modern sort of environment, some of those leadership styles aren't always resonating. And, um, you know, we've seen this in a lot of companies where, you know, they've appointed very, very uh, charismatic, dominant, quite big egoed uh, individuals <laughs> into the chief executive role. Yeah. But culturally, you know, sometimes it's just not a not a fantastic match. So, um, you know, the current sort of thinking in executive markets is people are being sort of promoted a lot earlier than, than what they have been. And they're getting into that CXO role with about 10 years less experience than what they had in the past. And they've actually got a lot less training under their belt. You know, there's not as much formal training around as there, there used to be. And so people are often getting into these roles, you know, quite underprepared. And I think the onus is probably really ultimately on the individual to, to boost some of their own skills themselves and yes. uh, really make sure that when they do get into that really important role and, and, you know, a key leadership role, that they're really able to make a real contribution and be successful. Yes, that is very true. And also, I believe, um, you know, at, at that sort of leadership level, the self-awareness is so important. Yeah, very um, much so. Yes, and, and to really be open to, you know, perhaps looking at challenges or problems and, and that they actually might exist with you and to further develop and enhance your leadership skills. And as yes. you said before, you know, seek to learn and develop in a, an environment that allows for that. And that could be outside of the workplace in a learning environment. 
Um, it is is integral really to success. And the other thing I, you know, um, as you you were talking about that, and you were saying charismatic leaders. I, um, being an introvert, I have found that the qualities that introverts have can actually make for a really strong leader because yeah. they're so focused and and they're about um, leadership and leading the team, leading the team to success as opposed to taking a lot of the glory, for, you know what I mean, for, for themselves. Yes. It's about yeah. the, the team. And yet introverts, interestingly, were not seen as the typical leader for many mm. years, yet um, those qualities uh, really can lead to success and success in business. Mm, very much so. And I think it's just, again, back to these preconceptions about, you know, well, a CEO has to have this, this and this. And, you know, that sort of, you know, charismatic leader rising to the top there, but they may not be the right, you know, people. And I think times are changing. Business is changing. We've got a new, you know, millennials coming into the workforce. By 2020, I believe like nearly half the workforces will be made up of, you know, you know, this whole new um, age demographic uh, and how we're going to engage with those workforces. So I think there's a lot of things to consider. And um, I think many people from many different backgrounds can become fantastic leaders for, for different organisations. And I think we've got to shift away from those preconceived ideas. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, the rela- relationship between the CEO and members of the board is crucial yes. to an organisation's impact and the ability mm-hmm. to be able to succeed. A prime example of this is the four hundred million dollar demise of Dick Smith, and I, from what I, you know, have read, uh, the dysfunctional relationship between the board and the CEO was thrown into the public light as part of the examination of the Supreme Court. So, mm. can you share with us your advice on how CEOs and boards can foster healthy working relationships? Yeah, and you mentioned Dick Smith, and that's a very high-profile example. And uh, you know, all the transcripts this week from the different parties, and there's a bit of finger pointing going on there for sure. And it's you know the very embarrassing situation for the chief executive, uh, Nick Abood, who who really you know was a solid guy, um, and in his first big chief executive role, things have gone pretty pear shaped in mm. quite a you know modest period of time. And my understanding is that he's very very upset about the the outcome. Oh, I'm sure. So I'm mindful of, you know, there's a lot of reputations on the line here um, and the scrutiny is, you know, quite significant and there's even the the chance here that there could end up being um, prosecutions. So um, with that aside, you know, my, 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 uh, the issues with, with Dick Smith, and it's not uncommon across the board, is that there were a couple of key individuals who really championed Uh, the CEO's appointment, and they were the private equity guys. And when you come in as a chief executive and you have the support of a couple of your board members, but you don't maybe have full support of all of the board, um, you know, from the get-go, things are a little bit off kilter because you really have to have that full board support from day one. And then the second issue that has occurred there is that, you know, there's been a uh, a lack of retail experience at boardroom level and uh, an over-reliance on the CEO's retail experience, which, uh, you know, has been uh, a bit limited in this sort of context of operating in his first really big chief executive role. 
And so the the um, the breakdown between the board, the chair, uh, different board members, and with the chief executive uh, has come back to a lack of good communication, a lack of transparency. Um, and, you know, it's been a recipe for disaster and, you know, the consequences are quite substantial. So it is the most critical relationship. It is a two-way street and everybody's responsible for fostering a very good relationship. But as a chief executive, you cannot have good relations with one or two board members and expect that to carry. You cannot have sidebar conversations with mm. different board members yeah. and think, oh, well, that's all been approved by everybody. And you can't run off and go and make your own decisions without full board support. It is a complete team. And, you know, there's no point really at the end of the day, the different team members blaming each other. And I thought this and I thought that they had to be as a, as a board and a chief executive operating as one and they were not. And that's really at the end of the day, that's what well, that's the crux of the issue. I believe at Dick Smith. And when you see other issues transpire in the market, it's because they're not operating as one. And you, you get individuals uh, running running their own race and it just can't work. No, of Cannot course work. not. No, no. And I think you make a valid point there as well, you know, with um, when, uh, you know, things go sour and a prime example is Dick Smith is that the pointing of the finger and everybody has to be accountable and responsible and take yeah. responsibility for the fact that perhaps, you know, there wasn't transparency and the communication wasn't and rather than, oh, I didn't understand that. Well, if you're a board member, you have a responsibility to un understand exactly. that and to ask those questions as well. There is no shifting responsibility elsewhere. Everyone yeah, in right. that particular board is responsible for, you know, yeah. what occurred. Yeah, and I think the problem now is the stakes are so high, the risks for directors for personal liability are very high. Mm. And so, you know, and then, and then you have the insurers on the back end who are telling people what they can and cannot say. Um, and, you know, it's like trying to sort of have a really good sort of look under the skirt in terms of the, the footprint of what's actually gone on here. Um, but it's very, very challenging. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a shock, I think, to quite a, a number of people in the system because businesses do, you know, encounter difficulties and they do go under. But then when you see the aftermath and the, um, the scrutiny that then comes about and, and the risk to reputation and so on, you know, people might think twice about serving on some of these really high-profile boards. But, you know, at the end of the day, communication is at the heart of all business. And, um, you know, that relationship uh, between a board and their chief executive is the most critical one. And it just has to be honest, open, transparent. Uh, it needs to be informal and formal. Um, and, it, you know, it's got to be a team, a leadership team. And, uh, you know, this is where we're seeing a bit of lack of leadership. And, um, you know, leadership is just not there in the boardrooms in Australia at the moment. Yeah. And team is a good word because they are the team. They're the executive team. So whilst there might be, you know, a chief executive who is leading the wider business, at the end of the day, the buck stops with all of them. And that includes the board and the chief executive. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Now, Kylie, when is the ideal time for a business to start thinking about appointing an advisory board, for instance, as a starting point? 
Look, I think almost every business that is operating, whether it even be early stage, should have an advisory board. And look, I've practised what I've preached myself. You know, even when I had very, very early stage businesses, I've always assembled an A-team around me. And I've operated, you know, because... I love to be accountable to yes. to and run my advisory board. So I've got a group of people who I'm accountable to. And I've been able to achieve things that I just otherwise wouldn't have done in that time frame or, you know, would have made mistakes or, or just didn't have the right advice around me. So the sooner the better. And um, you don't have to have a massive advisory board. You don't have to have 10 people on your advisory board. You can have two people on your advisory board. But, it, it, you know, at any stage, you could start to look at bringing in that sort of formality of a regular monthly meeting, uh, accountable uh, to your business strategy and your plans, and taking in external advice as to how you can grow your business successfully. And, um, you know, we're seeing in private companies just the rise and rise of advisory boards. There are so many advisory board opportunities, it's not funny. And it's great for people who want to give advice and it's a great career pathway, but it's also fantastic for businesses. Um, Businesses, you know, really, you know, being in business is not easy. So, um, you know, we want to grow, we want to be successful, we want to execute on our strategy. You need the A team around you. Yeah, very much. And I think... You made a valid point about accountability and advisory boards and even if it is a small one, uh, assist with that because I see so many small businesses really struggle because there is no accountability. They're not accountable to anybody but themselves, which is really challenging. You're not really accountable to yourself unless you are a very strong individual, a strong driven individual. So it's good for that balance as well and varied perspectives to yes. challenge your thought process and to look at um, being objective within a business too and just to be a sounding board. That is so yes. important because yes. particularly for small business owners who feel like they're doing it all alone, to have that um, sounding board is critical and it really does um, help build the momentum and lead to success when you do have that support around you. Yeah, and I think the other thing that for me I've noticed is it's prevented mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, I've had, you know, my advisors pull me up and say, you know, in my opinion, I think you're heading in the wrong direction. Why don't you think about it a little bit more? Or, you know, my experience, I've tried that. Um, you know, a very good example was, you know, I had a, a, you know, a sort of magazine publication. I wanted to take it to print publication. And I sat down with one of my advisors, Ida Batros, and she sort of clued me into some of the challenges of printing costs and, you know, where, you know, her magazine ended up uh, with owing, you know, $8 million in printing costs um, at the end of the day. And I thought, well, I'll stay, you know, e-marketing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stay with a digital <laughs> publication. And, it, you know, I was so set that this was the way I was going. And it was that one conversation, that one little bit of advice, and it actually prevented me from probably losing many millions of dollars. Uh, down the track and and I just hadn't read the writing on the wall that, you know, this is where, you know, the shift is now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, being able to prevent a mistake uh, is, is, is worth as much as getting, you know, things right. Yeah, very much so. And I think that um, what I've always believed as well as, and that you, you know, that example is, is a prime example, is if people have walked the path before, 
go and have a talk to them and and uh, understand what challenges they had, what successes they had, and and talk to them about your idea or or you know, the process or or the product, whatever it may be, because they have been there and done it, and yes. that can prevent, uh, as you say, a lot of mistakes and and costly ones too. Yeah, tap into other people's experiences. It's yeah. just uh, it's, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, what are the due diligence checks that you recommend businesses consider um, when appointing an advisory board? Um, so the checks that they would do on the advisory board members or the checks that the advisory board members would do on the company? Um, a bit of both, but let's start with <laughs> the businesses um, at doing the yeah. due diligence checks on the advisory board. Yeah, look, um, you want to make sure that the people coming on board um, do have the time uh, to commit to your business. Uh, they're not doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, they're not turning up for board fees, you know, per se. Um, they've got a genuine interest and they can add genuine value. I think all arrangements in this space keep them pretty, um, you know, don't overcommit. You don't need to appoint people for 12 months or even, you know, years. Um, you really sort of start slow, you know, get people to prove themselves um, and you can always sort of extend relationships. And don't be afraid if you have appointed advisors and if they're not adding the value to your business to terminate them and mm -hmm. to say, look, this isn't working for me. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so, you look, I think, you know, you know, be, you know, like with all employment, slow to hire, <laughs> um, you know, take your time. Have a number of meetings, uh, get them to maybe attend a board meeting as an observer or to see how it can operate, uh, get their input. Um, people are very, very keen to do this type of work, um, but you really need to make sure that chemistry is there. And, you know, we, we do a lot of crowdfunding, we do a lot of capital raising, and so we kind of, you know, tell people to sort of put all those sort of thoughts aside and, you know, just look at the individual. Would you take their advice? Do you want to work with them? Um, life's a bit short to be working with people you don't like. So, um, you know, just make sure the chemistry's right. And look, it, it, as long as you don't overcommit and get yourself into, you know, lengthy, lengthy contracts, I think there can only be upside. Yes, yes. And I think that's um, very good advice, particularly about not overcommitting as well and just making sure you find that right fit and and, yes. and try it out. Yeah, just yeah. Try. Try, yeah. try a few different things and, and, and some things may not work and you may part ways with certain advisors. I have certain advisors that I've only worked with for very short periods of time, six to 12 months, and then I have other advisors that I've literally worked with for 10 years on and off. And, um, you know, they're my go-to people and, and there's just a huge level of trust and respect there. Um, and um, I don't expect, you know, one person to be all the solution uh, to my problems. And, um, you know, I take advice, you know, with a little bit of a grain of salt as well. Hmm. Yeah, you decide whether you want to take it on board or not. <laughs> the end of the being day. An being an entrepreneur, you can kind of pick and choose. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the key, I think, as well. Uh, is for individuals or businesses to understand that it is advice and at the end of the day you decide you know what path you want to go down and yes. and but it is good to have that broad um, as I said before sort of perspective on things as well so that you can make an informed decision but it's your decision yes exactly yeah 
Um, what advice do you have for anyone um, who is struggling in business? Mm-hmm. Well, Very broad, yeah. I know. But. Yeah, yeah. But, well, business is tough, and um, you know, for owner operators, entrepreneurs, you know, and I've I've been there myself many many times. Um, you know, when the chips have been down. Um, you know, I think the key is to get, um, you know, the right the right advice at the right time. Um, you know, don't bury your head in the sand. Um, I think you've got to look after yourself and your own personal energy. Um, you know, I've had in my own, you know, sort of life, I've had a health crisis and it was, you know, really, a, you know, I was pushing myself to the limit. I was under huge stress and pressure. Um, and, you know, this health crisis was a massive wake-up call. Um, so, you know, often, you know, the problems are often with the individual. So you've really got to treat yourself um, as, you know, the, the, the heart of the business and, and, you know, really look after yourself and surround yourself with people who genuinely care for you, uh, who will pull you up when they can see things are not going going well and reach out a course. Everything can be fixed. I, I very rarely see problems in business that are not solvable, but you cannot let things escalate and get out of control. You've got to pull things up early. And um, if you're inexperienced in an area, get an opinion, get another opinion, get a third opinion. Um, you know, get the A team around you and, you know, never get yourself into a situation where you, you're really, you're pushing all the all the red warning lights and, and pushing the red line. Um, you really have to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And I think not doing it alone, don't, you know, don't mm. believe that you're the one that's going to solve everything is mm. the advice is integral, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, and look, don't and look, worry too much if there's some failures along the way. Yeah. You know, you know, I've had businesses that have gone under. I mean, yeah. it's not the end of the world. It might have seemed like it on the day. But, um, you know, the whole point of being a bit of an entrepreneur is you've just got to be able to pick yourself back up and, and reach out a course. So, um, yeah, not, don't be too too afraid for a few things to go, you know, to go wrong. That's just the par for the course in business. But it's the people who can pick themselves back up, get back on course, have the right A team around around them. You know, they're the people who ultimately become successful. Yeah. Um. It's it's a it's a marathon, not a race, and uh, you really have to, uh, you know, steel yourself for that. You know, that journey that you're on. And um, I, I, as I said, I very rarely see problems that can't be solved by you know, asking the right questions, asking the right people, getting the right, uh, uh, you know, game plan in place. Even the most dire situations, I've seen them turn around. Uh, you've just got to find the right person to help you. Yeah. And I think when you're in that situation and you're living it, you don't look at things objectively either. That's why the advice yeah. is so important. Yeah, the advisory board should be pulling you up from things that you maybe are missing yourself and, and you know, you know, doing a bit of a health check on you. How are you travelling? Yeah, yeah, good advice. What steps should executives who are interested in um, advising at a board level take to secure these positions? 
Yeah, so, I mean, you can start by joining Director Institute, Next Generation <laughs> Directors. We, we literally have thousands of board roles and, yeah. and we have access to, you know, fantastic business networks and we're really focused on trying to help, uh, you know, this new guard of talent come through the ranks and to secure their first board roles. Um, you know, we after a whole range of skills, every skill you can think of we need in the boardroom. It's not your traditional accountants and lawyers. As I said earlier, start as early as you can thinking about this. And it's looking for that first initial win. And it might be in the not-for-profit space. It might even be, a, you know, a subcommittee or a steering committee. This might be how you get your start and you start to build your experience up. And um, or it could be in an early stage business and, you know, just putting a bit of a plan in place, starting to think about it, starting to look at board roles, starting to look at the opportunities. And, um, you know, it's just such fantastic experience and it gives you great perspective, even on an executive role. Um, it may provide you with experience that you can't get within your current role and organisation. And most companies these days are actually quite supportive of, um, you know, top executives holding an external position uh, in some form, provided there's no conflicts of interest. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of encouragement now for taking on this kind of work. Uh, a lot of benefits, but it just needs a little bit of planning and forethought as to how you're going to sort of put this uh, into, into action. Now, Kylie, if someone was interested in joining the Directors Institute, yes. what would they need to do? Look, probably first step is to go and have a look, look at our website and there's um, a number of free downloads that will show you the types of roles that we recruit for and, um, you know, you can, you know, put in an application to join the Institute. It is an invitation-only uh, institute. Where I personally screen all of our members and that's because I want to ensure that if we bring a member into the, the Institute that we will be able to place them into a board role and that they do have the right sort of skill set and credentials to be able to pursue this pathway. Um, I'm not into giving people false hope and, you know, false aspirations that they're going to get into the boardroom because not everyone is suited. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, we we will you know provide you know our members with those access to those those valid roles and opportunities, to the network and the opportunity to learn from their peers, which I think is just critical. I'm not into formal training and teaching people about governance and risk. I think that's all a bit boring. <laughs> but um, you know, learning from each other and and the war stories and this is how I handled this situation. I'm a big believer in that, and it's just a great way to pick this knowledge up. And I completely agree with you and certainly all of my learnings have come from putting, you know, getting advice or experiences that I've gone through doing, I suppose, the, the practical yes. side of things as opposed to the theory side of things. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. makes such a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Now, mm. finally, what does the future look like for you in the business? Look, we are. I'm, I feel very fortunate. A lot of things are all kind of coming together at the same time. Um, we're not an overnight success. This has been over a decade of, of work and different businesses that have all come together, different thoughts and ideas. At the end of the day, I'm just so passionate about putting the right people in the boardroom, bringing in this new mix of skills, genders, uh, races, cultures, uh, young and old. I want the A-team around these businesses to help them grow. 
And in the long term, I think we will have a big impact on ASX boards because people will start to see that there is this new way of putting the right people around the table and the results that can follow. Yeah. When you have this new kind of thinking about how you can leverage the power of your board, because I think a board can be incredibly powerful, um, you know, to to a business's success. So we're on a we're on a sort of a we're on a rocket ship is kind of how I liken it. <laughs> we are, you know, the fastest growing network of aspiring and current board directed talent. Um, you know, thousands and thousands of board roles, companies contacting us every day saying, look, I want to put together an advisory board. So it's just very exciting times. And uh, I really do think we've got a really nice opportunity to change the paradigm a little bit from how things have been done in the past, the old guard, the old rhetoric. Oh, gosh, it's so boring. It is. I agree <laughs> there completely. Is a, there is a new way of doing things, my friends. Yes. And, you know, that purpose and 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 you're passionate about what you do, and that's quite evident. I, I can I can feel that, and I can see that in the impact that you're making. So, well done. Yeah. And certainly, if there are any businesses out there that are listening that haven't actually considered using an advisory board, yeah. then certainly they should give you a call and have a conversation around how you can help them. Yeah, we would love that and we'd really love to, you know, partner with them to understand what they need and, and to put that A team around them Yeah, uh, to help them go to the next level of growth and development. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kylie, for your time today. I really appreciate it. That was my pleasure. It was great conversation. I really enjoyed the questions. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation too. Thank you. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Honest CEO Show with Caroline Kennedy. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes for your weekly dose on all things business. We've also made it easy for you by linking the subscribe to button on the virtual executive website. Caroline shares free business tools and resources there too. And if you're stuck and need some advice, book a free 30-minute session with Caroline or one of her team. Go to www.virtualexecutive.com.au and check it out.